Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. I just want to pop in here for a second before we get started with the show and just say the Patreon is live. So if you want to go over there and hang out with us on the Patreon, building that community, that's patreon.com backslash uh, conscious environment creation. So patreon.com backslash conscious environment creation. And over there we have promo codes for the bonfire site so you can get a little bit off on your merch, whatever you want to grab over there. But we have behind-the-scenes footage. You guys can vote on different topics. If you want to be the producer level, you can actually just have whatever you want me to make a podcast about within reason, and I will make it. So let's let's hang out together. I can't wait to keep building this community with you. All right, on with the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Conscious Environment Podcast. If you know anything about me or you came here from TikTok, hello, you might know that I started off my channel with the Say What History Show. And that came out last year during Black History Month, where every single day I would do a Black History story about somebody that you know, somebody that you don't know, or some event that was so crazy to make you say what. <laughs> and now I've wanted to kind of do the same thing, but transfer it over to the podcast. I'm still doing the show over there on TikTok. We're on season two, but you can actually check out some of these episodes right now. And I'm going to do a little bit longer form kind of scripted versions of the show. I'm relegated to just three minutes when it comes to the TikTok episodes. But for this, I can actually do a little bit longer. So my plan for the rest of February is to just do a couple of, of these stories every single week. So I'm thinking somewhere between three and five uh, stories that I'll do every single week. And hopefully you guys enjoy them. This first story is going to be about the Tulsa Race Massacre. On May 30th, 1921, a young man, he was black, named Dick Rowland, was riding in an elevator in the Drexel building in Tulsa, Oklahoma with a white woman named Sarah Page. Now, some words were exchanged, or not, an arm touch, or not. Who knows? It was never confirmed what happened, but we do know what they thought happened. An uppity black man from Greenwood, the proper name for the district that would be later referred to as Black Wall Street, was out of line with a white woman. Roland was arrested the next day and the Tulsa Tribune wrote a scathing article, Nab Negro for Attacking Girl in an Elevator. It stated that Dick Roland, who was a 19-year-old black man, had been arrested that morning and charged with attempted assault of a 17-year-old white elevator girl in the Drexel building earlier yesterday. Roland denied that he tried to harm the girl, but admitted that he put his hand on her arm when she was alone. Tenants of the Drexel building said that the girl was an orphan. She worked as an elevator operator to pay her way through business college. His charges were later dismissed, but the white public was not going to have this. The surrounding areas around Tulsa thought that they would find him and serve out their own justice. And because of where he was from, they set their sights on Greenwood. Public officials provided firearms and ammunition to the individual. Again, all of them white. Units of the Oklahoma National Guard participated in the mass arrest of all or nearly all of Greenwood's residents. On June 1st, 1921, Greenwood was looted and burned by white rioters. 24 hours after the violence erupted, it ceased. In the wake of the violence, 35 city blocks lay in charred ruins. More than 800 people were treated for injuries and contemporary reports of death began at 36. Historians now believe as many as 300 people may have died. In 2001, an official race riot commission was organized to review the details of the event. 
By examining historical resources, members of the Race Riot Commission determined a number of details to be undeniable. These are not myths, not rumors, not speculations, not questions. These are historical records. In order to understand the Tulsa Race Massacre, it is important to understand the complexities of the time. Dick Rowland, Sarah Page, and unknown gunmen were the sparks that ignited a long smoldering fire. Jim Crow, jealousy, white supremacy, and land loss all played roles in leading up to the destruction and loss of life of May 31st and June 1st, 1921. All right, for our next story, let's talk about Nathaniel Nat Turner. Nathaniel Nat Turner, a preacher born in 1800, was an enslaved man who led a rebellion of enslaved people on August 21st, 1831. This would be the most deadly slave revolt in the history of the United States. Turner and his allies killed about 55 white men, women, and children. Less than 24 hours after the revolt began, the rebels encountered organized resistance and they were defeated on James Parker's farm. The following day, whites quickly and brutally killed roughly three dozen blacks without trial. This was somewhat frowned upon by the establishment. Seeing as they were all enslaved, they were killing the enslavers' property. Heavy air quotes here. White leaders made sure that the remaining suspected slaves were tried which meant that the white enslaved owners would receive compensation from the state for the condemned slaves. That's something that wouldn't have happened without the trial. Turner himself had eluded whites throughout September and October. Turner was caught after being spotted by an enslaved man who told of his position. He was executed on November 11th, 1831. You may have heard the rumors that he was cannibalized after his death, and the answer is probably... Tony Horowitz, a reporter for The New Yorker, stated that according to several reports, the rebel leader's corpse was given to doctors for dissection and his body parts were distributed among white families. Historians in the 1920s discovered that Turner was skinned to supply souvenirs such as purses, his flesh was made in the grease, and his bones were divided as trophies to be handed down as heirlooms. Nat Turner shook the enslavers to their core and inadvertently sparked an overzealous response. These new, more oppressive laws would fan the flames of what would become the Civil War. All right, for this next story, let's talk about the Watts Rebellion. The Watts Rebellion, or the Watts Uprising, took place in the Watts neighborhood and its surrounding areas of Los Angeles. On Wednesday, August 11th, 1965, Marquette Fry, a 21-year-old black man, was arrested for drunk driving on the edge of Los Angeles in the Watts neighborhood. A struggle that ensued during his arrest sparked off a six-day rebellion. 34 people dead, including 23 killed by the Los Angeles Police Department, the LAPD, or the National Guard troops, as well as 1,032 injured, at least 600 buildings damaged from fires or looting, another 200 buildings completely destroyed. The destruction of the property was valued between 50 and 100 million dollars. This rebellion was not an isolated event, and with multiple urban revolts happening across the country taking place from 1964 to 1965, prior to the Watts explosion. In 1964, there were revolts all over the country. A three-day revolt in Rochester, New York, six-day revolt in Harlem, New York, and New York City. This involved just over 4,000 people. Three days in Philadelphia, three days in Chicago, even at the time, some blamed the Watts Rebellion on outside agitators, but most understood it was the result of continuing dissatisfaction about the living conditions and opportunities, long-standing tension between police and the residents, and just no hope for it getting better. Over the two years leading up to the revolt, 65 black residents were shot by the police, 27 of them in the back, 25 of them unarmed. 
The Watts Rebellion was one of those boiling points from black Americans that unfortunately we still see to this day for the same reasons. I'm hopeful for the future, but I can't forget this African proverb. The child who is not embraced by the village will burn it down to feel its warmth. Alright, for this last story, let's talk about the 1985 Philadelphia bombing of the MOVE organization. In the evening of May 13, 1985, the residents of the Cobbs Creek neighborhood in Philadelphia were winding down after a beautiful day of pre-Mother's Day celebration. No one expected the sky to be lit orange and red with flames. The long-standing feud between MOVE, a black liberation group in the Philadelphia Police Department, finally reached an explosive boiling point. That night, 6221 Osage Avenue was surrounded by hundreds of heavily armed police officers who exchanged thousands of rounds of ammo and multiple cans of tear gas. After a while, there was silence. No more shooting, no more screaming. The people inside the MOVE organization's building, their home, they held their breath as they waited to find out what they were planning. Finally, the sounds of a helicopter could be heard just overhead. And the next few moments passed in a flash. A military-grade satchel bomb with Tovax and C4 explosives fell silently from the helicopter on the MOVE organization's home. Boom. The police knew the home was occupied by men, women, and children. Two city blocks of a formerly vibrant neighborhood was left in ashes. Eleven people were killed, including five children and the founder of the organization. The next day, two city blocks of the formerly vibrant neighborhood was in ashes. 61 homes were destroyed and more than 250 citizens were left homeless. The show of force, unjustified to many, solidified mistrust between the Philadelphia residents and the government. So what was the issue with MOVE? MOVE, not an acronym, was a political and religious organization whose anti-government, anti-technology, and anti-corporation since the early 70s, MOVE had been under constant surveillance by law enforcement. This multiracial collective of people who lived a back-to-nature lifestyle grew increasingly outspoken against what they called the system. They spoke out against racism, police brutality, the mistreatment of animals, and the pollution of nature. Years-long battles with the police from 1976 to 1978 culminated with their first home being destroyed by bulldozers. After moving to their new home in 1983, the mayor and the police were determined to destroy that one as well. And in the spring of 1985, they got their wish. In recent years, it's come to light that the officers at the time knew that dropping the bomb on the roof specifically would ignite a storage of gasoline that was up there, causing the most damage. We've also learned that it took over an hour and a half for the mayor to dispatch the fire department to fight the fire. It's also been made apparent that some of the people who died that day were shot by sniper fire as they attempted to escape the burning row home. In the 1990s, the remaining members of MOVE relocated to the Spruce Hill neighborhood. The organization still remains a politically active presence in Philadelphia to this day. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Conscious Environment Podcast and say what history taking over for a little bit. We're going to be doing this all February, so come back next week for some more stories. Again, if you want to support the show monetarily, there are Venmo and Cash App links down below, as well as a link to our bonfire site where you can pick up a couple of shirts. There's some merch on there. I am Black History. There's going to be some other stuff that's going to be popping up as well. 
So go and check those out. I hope you guys enjoy them and give me some suggestions on other designs. I can't super duper think of anything, but uh, what do you guys want to see? But thank you again so much for tuning in. And remember, I love you and go drink water right now. Stay hydrated. All right. See you guys next week.